Section 7 of Rock Crystal by Adelbert Stifter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Even though Conrad kept before his mind the fate of the huntsman who was frozen to death, and even though the children had almost emptied the bottle of black coffee, which necessarily would bring on a corresponding relaxation afterwards, they would not have been able to conquer their desire for sleep, whose seductive sweetness outweighs all arguments against it, had not nature itself in all its grandeur assisted them and in its own depths awakened a force which was able to cope with sleep. In the enormous stillness that reigned about them, a silence in which no snow crystal seemed to move, the children heard three times the bursting of the ice. That which seems the most rigid of all things, and yet is most flexible and alive, the glacier, had produced these sounds. Thrice they heard behind them a crash, terrific, as if the earth were rent asunder, a sound that ramified through the ice in all directions and seemed to penetrate all its veins. The children remained sitting open-eyed, and looked out upon the stars. Their eyes also were kept busy. As the children sat there, a pale light began to blossom forth on the sky before them among the stars, and extended a flat arc through them. It had a greenish tinge, which gradually worked downward. But the arc became ever brighter until the stars paled in it, it sent a luminosity also into other regions of the heavens, which shed greenish beams softly and actively among the stars. Then sheaves of varicolored light stood in burning radiance on the height of the ark, like the spikes of a crown. Mildly it flowed through the neighboring regions of the heavens. It flashed and showered softly and in gentle vibrations extended through vast spaces. Whether now the electric matter of the atmosphere had become so tense by the unexampled fall of snow that it resulted in this silent, splendid efflorescence of light, or whether some other cause of unfathomable nature may be assigned as reason for the phenomenon, however that be, Gradually, the light grew weaker and weaker. First, the sheaves died down, until, by unnoticeable degrees, it grew ever less, and there was nothing in the heavens but the thousands upon thousands of simple stars. The children never exchanged a word, but remained sitting and gazed open-eyed into the heavens. Nothing particular happened afterward, the stars gleamed and shone and twinkled. Only an occasional shooting star traversed them. At last, after the stars had shone alone for a long time, and nothing had been seen of the moon, something else happened. The sky began to grow brighter, slowly but recognizably brighter. Its color became visible. The faintest stars disappeared and the others were not clustered so densely any longer. Finally, also the bigger stars faded away, and the snow on the heights became more distinct. Now one region of the heavens grew yellow, 
and a strip of cloud floating in it was inflamed to a glowing line. All things became clearly visible, and the remote snow hills assumed sharp outlines. Sana, day is breaking, said the boy. Yes, Conrad, answered the girl. After it grows just a bit brighter, we shall go out of the cave and run down from the mountain. It grew brighter. No star was visible any longer, and all things stood out clear in the dawn. Well, then, let us go, said the boy. Yes, let us go, answered Sana. The children arose and tried their limbs, which only now felt their tiredness. Although they had not slept, the morning had reinvigorated them. The boy slung the calfskin bag around his shoulder and fastened Sana's fur jacket about her. Then he led her out of the cave. As they had believed it would be an easy matter to run down from the mountain, they had not thought of eating and had not searched the bag to see whether it contained any wheat bread or other eatables. The sky being clear, Conrad had wanted to look down from the mountain into the valleys in order to recognize the valley of Geshit and descend to it. But he saw no valleys whatever. He seemed not to stand on any mountain from which one can look down. But in some strange, curious country, in which there were only unknown objects, today they saw awful rocks stand up out of the snow at some distance, which they had not seen the day before. They saw the glacier, they saw hummocks and slanting snowfields, and behind these either the sky or the blue peak of some very distant mountain above the edge of the snowy horizon. At this moment the sun arose. A gigantic bloody red disk emerged above the white horizon, and immediately the snow about the children blushed, as if it had been strewn with millions of roses. The knobs and pinnacles of the mountain cast very long and greenish shadows along the snow. Sana, we shall go on here, until we come to the edge of the mountain, and can look down, said the boy. They went farther into the snow. In the clear night it had become still drier and easily yielded to their steps. They waded stoutly on. Their limbs became even more elastic and strong as they proceeded, but they came to no edge and could not look down. Snowfield succeeded snowfield, and at the edge of each always shone the sky. They continued, nevertheless. Before they knew it, they were on the glacier again. They did not know how the ice had got there, but they felt the ground smooth underfoot, and although there were not such awful boulders as in the moraine where they had passed the night, yet they were aware of the glacier being underneath them. They saw the blocks growing ever larger and coming ever nearer, forcing them to clamber again, yet they kept on in the same direction. Again they were clambering up some boulders. Again they stood on the glacier. Only today, in the bright sunlight, could they see what it was like. It was enormously large, and beyond it, again, black rocks soared aloft. Wave heaved behind wave, as it were. The snowy ice was crushed, 
raised up, swollen as if it pressed onward and were flowing toward the children. In the white of it they perceived innumerable advancing wavy blue lines. Between those regions, where the icy masses rose up, as if shattered against each other, there were lines like paths, and these were strips of firm ice, or places where the blocks of ice had not been screwed up very much. The children followed these paths, as they intended to cross part of the glacier, at least, in order to get to the edge of the mountain, and at last have a glimpse down. They said not a word. The girl followed in the footsteps of the boy. The place where they had meant to cross grew ever broader, it seemed. Giving up their direction, they began to retreat. Where they could not walk, they broke with their hands through the masses of snow which often gave way before their eyes, revealing the intense blue of a crevasse, where all had been pure white before. But they did not mind this and labored on until they again emerged from the ice somewhere. Sana, said the boy, we shall not go into the ice again at all, because we cannot make our way in it, and because we cannot look down into our valley. Anyway, we want to go down from the mountain in a straight line. We must come into some valley, and there we shall tell people that we are from Geshite, and they will show us the way home. Yes, Conrad, said the girl. So... They began to descend on the snow in the direction which its slope offered them. The boy led the little girl by her hand. However, after having descended some distance, the slope no longer followed that direction, and the snowfield rose again. The children, therefore, changed their direction and descended toward a shallow basin, but there they struck ice again. So... They climbed up along the side of the basin in order to seek a way down in some other direction. A slope led them downward, but that gradually became so steep that they could scarcely keep a footing and feared lest they should slide down. So they retraced their steps upward to find some other way down. After having clambered up the snowfield a long time and then continuing along an even ridge, they found it to be as before. Either the snow sloped so steeply that they would have fallen, or it ascended so that they feared it would lead to the very peak of the mountain. And thus it continued to be. Then they had the idea of finding the direction from which they had come and of descending to the red post. As it is not snowing and the sky is bright, thought the boy, they should be able, after all, to see the spot where the post ought to be and to descend down from it to Geshite. The boy told his little sister his thought, and she followed him. But the way down to the neck was not to be found. However clear the sun shone, however beautifully the snowy heights stood there and the fields of snow lay there, Yet they could not recognize the places over which they had come the day before. Yesterday all had been veiled by the immense snowfall, so they had scarcely seen a couple of feet ahead of them, and then all had been a mingled white and gray. They had seen only the rocks along and between which they had passed. But today also they had seen many rocks, and they all resembled those they had seen the day before. Today they left fresh tracks behind them in the snow, 
Yesterday, all tracks had been obliterated by the falling snow. Neither could they gather from the aspect of things which way they had to return to the neck, since all places looked alike, snow and snow again. But on they marched and hoped to succeed in the end. They avoided the declivities and did not attempt to climb steep slopes. Today also they frequently stood still to listen, but they heard nothing, not the slightest sound. Neither was anything to be seen except the dazzling snow from which emerged here and there black peaks and ribs of rock. At last the boy thought he saw a flame skipping over a faraway snow slope. It bobbed up and dipped down again. Now they saw it, and then again they did not. They remained standing and steadfastly gazed in that direction. The flame kept on skipping up and down and seemed to be approaching, for they saw it grow bigger and skipping more plainly. It did not disappear so often and for so long a time as before. After a while, they heard in the still blue air, faintly, very faintly, something like the long note of a shepherd's horn. As if from instinct, both children shouted aloud. A little while, and they heard the sound again. They shouted again, and remained standing on the same spot. The flame also came nearer. The sound was heard for the third time, and this time more plainly. The children answered again by shouting loudly. After some time, they also recognized that it was no flame they had seen, but a red flag which was being swung. At the same time, the shepherd's horn resounded closer to them, and the children made reply. Sana, cried the boy, there come people from Kishite. I know the flag. It is the red flag that the stranger gentleman planted on the peak when he had climbed the gars with the young hunter, so that the reverend father could see it with his spyglass. And that was to be the sign that they had reached the top, and the stranger gentleman gave him the flag afterward as a present. You were a real small child then. Yes, Conrad. After a while, the children could also see the people near the flag, like little black dots that seemed to move. The call of the horn came again and again ever nearer. Each time the children made answer. Finally, they saw on the snow slope opposite them several men with the flag in their midst, coast down on their alpenstocks. When they had come closer, the children recognized them. It was the shepherd Philip with his horn, his two sons, the young hunter, and several men of Geshite. God be blessed, cried Philip. Why, here you are. The whole mountain is full of people. Let one of you run down at once to the Cedar Alp chalet and ring the bell that they down below may hear that we have found them. And one must climb the Krebstein and plant the flag there so that they in the valley may see it and fire off the mortars so that the people searching in the Millsdorf forest may hear it, and that they may kindle the smudge fires in Kishite, and all those on the mountain may come down to the Cedar Alp chalet. This is a Christmas for you. I shall climb down to the chalet, one said, and I shall carry the flag to Krebstein, said another, and we will get the children down to the Cedar Alp chalet as well as we can, if God help us, said Philip. One of Philip's sons made his way downward, 
and the other went his way with the flag. The hunter took the little girl by her hand, and the shepherd Philip, the boy. The others helped as they could. Thus they started out. They turned this way and that. Now they followed one direction. Now they took the opposite course. Now they climbed up, now down, always through snow, and the surroundings seemed to remain the same. On very steep inclines, they fastened climbing irons to their feet and carried the children. Finally, after a long time, they heard the ringing of a little bell that sounded up to them soft and thin, which was the first sign the lower regions sent to them again. They must really have descended quite far, for now they saw a snowy bluish peak lift up its head to a great height above them. The bell, however, which they had heard was that of the Cedar Alp Chalet, which was being rung, because there the meeting was to be. As they proceeded farther, they also heard in the still atmosphere the faint report of the mortars, which were fired at the sight of the flag, and still later they saw thin columns of smoke rising into the still air. When they, after a little while, descended a gentle slope, they caught sight of the Cedar Alp Chalet. They approached. In the hut, a fire was burning. The mother of the children was there. And with a terrible cry, she sank in the snow as she saw her children coming with the hunter. Then she ran up, looked them all over, wanted to give them something to eat, wanted to warm them, and bed them in the hay that was there. But soon she convinced herself that the children were more stimulated by their rescue than she had thought, and only required some warm food and a little rest, both of which they now obtained. When, after some time of rest, another group of men descended the snow slope, while the little bell continued tolling, the children themselves ran out to see who they were. It was the shoemaker, the former mountaineer, with alpenstock and climbing irons, accompanied by friends and comrades. Sebastian, here they are, cried the woman. He, however, remained speechless, shaking with emotion, and then ran up to her. Then his lips moved as if he wanted to say something, but he said nothing, caught the children in his embrace, and held them long. Thereupon he turned to his wife, embraced her, and cried, Sana, Sana. After a while, he picked up his hat which had fallen on the snow, and stepped among the men as if to speak. But he only said, Neighbors and friends, I thank you. After waiting a while, until the children had recovered from their excitement, he said, If we are all together, we may start. In God's name, we are not all together yet, I believe, said the shepherd Philip. But those who are still missing will know from the smoke that we have found the children and will go home when they find the chalet empty. All got ready to depart. The Cedar Alp chalet is not so very far from Geshait, from whose windows one can, in summertime, very well see the green pasture on which stands the grey hut with its small belfry, but below it there is a perpendicular wall with a descent of many fathoms, which one could climb in summer with the help of climbing irons, but which was not to be scaled in winter. They were therefore compelled to go by way of the neck in order to get down to Geshite. 
on their way they came to the cedar meadow which is still nearer to gushite so that from it one could see the windows in the village as they were crossing these meadows the bell of the gushite church sounded up to them bright and clear announcing the holy transubstantiation on account of the general commotion that obtained in gushite that morning the celebration of the high mass had been deferred as the priest thought the children would soon be found finally however as still no news came the holy mass had to be celebrated when they heard the bell announcing the holy transubstantiation all those crossing the cedar meadow sank upon their knees in the snow and prayed when the tolling had ceased they arose and marched on the shoemaker was carrying his little girl for the most part and made her tell him all when they were descending toward the forest of the neck they saw tracks which he declared came not from shoes of his make the explanation soon came attracted probably by the many voices they heard another body of men joined them it was the dyer ash gray in the face from fright descending at the head of his workmen apprentices and several men of millsdorf they climbed over the glacier and the crevasses without knowing it the shoemaker shouted to his father-in-law there they are there they are praised be the lord answered the dyer i knew already that they had been on the mountain when your messenger came to us in the night and we had searched through the whole forest with lanterns and had not found anything and then when it dawned i observed that on the road which leads on the left up toward the snow mountain on the spot where the post stands that there were some twigs and stalk were broken off as children like to do on their way and then i knew it <laughs> and then they could not get away because they walked in the hollow and then between the rocks on to the ridge which is so steep on either side that they could not get down they just had to ascend after making this observation i sent a message to gushite but the woodcutter michael who carried it told us at his return when he joined us up there near the ice that you had found them already in and so we came down again yes said michael i told you so because the red flag is hung out on the krebstein and this was the sign agreed upon in gushite and i told you that they all would come down this way as one cannot climb down the precipice and kneel down and thank god on your knees my son-in-law continued the dyer that there was no wind a hundred years will pass before there will be another such fall of snow that will come down straight like wet cords hanging from a pole if there had been any wind the children would have perished yes let us thank god let us thank god said the shoemaker the dyer who since the marriage of his daughter had never been in gushite decided to accompany the men to the village when they approached the red post where the side road began they saw the sleigh waiting for them which the shoemaker had ordered there whatever the outcome they let mother and children get into it, covered them well up in the rugs and furs provided for them, and let them ride ahead to Gushite. The others followed and arrived in Gushite by afternoon. Those who still were on the mountain and had only learned through the smoke that the signal for returning had been given gradually also found their way into the valley. 
The last to appear in the evening was the son of the shepherd, Philip, who had carried the red flag to the Krebstein and planted it there. In Gescheit there was also grandmother waiting for them, who had driven across the neck. Never, never, she cried, will I permit the children to cross the neck in winter. The children were confused by all this commotion. They received something more to eat and were put to bed then. Late in the evening, when they had recovered somewhat, and some neighbors and friends had assembled in the living room and were talking about the event, their mother came into the sleeping room. As she sat by Sana's bed and caressed her, the little girl said, Mother, last night, when we sat on the mountain, I saw the Holy Christ child. Oh, my dear, darling child, answered her mother. He sent you some presents, too, and you shall get them right soon. The pasteboard boxes had been unpacked and the candles lit, and now the door into the living room was opened, and from their bed the children could behold their belated, brightly gleaming, friendly Christmas tree. Notwithstanding their utter fatigue, they wanted to be dressed, partly, so that they could go into the room. They received their presents, admired them, and finally fell asleep over them. In the inn at Gescheit, it was more lively than ever this evening. All who had not been to church were there, and the others too. Each related what he had seen and heard, what he had done or advised, and the experiences and dangers he had gone through. A special stress was laid on how everything could have been done differently and better. This occurrence made an epoch in the history of Gescheit. It furnished material for conversation for a long time, and for many years to come. People will speak about it on bright days, when the mountain is seen with a special clearness, or when they tell strangers of the memorable events connected with it. Only, from this day on, the children were really felt to belong to the village, and were not any longer regarded as strangers in it, but as natives, whom the people had fetched down to them from the mountain. Their mother Sana also now was a native of Gescheit. The children, however, will not forget the mountain, and will look up to it more attentively when they are in the garden, when, as in the past, the sun is shining beautifully, and the linden tree is sending forth its fragrance, when the bees are humming, and the mountain looks down upon them beautifully blue, like the soft sky. End of section 7 End of Rock Crystal by Adalbert Stifter Translated by Lee Hollander Recording by Carol Pelster